Welcome to Talk 30 to Me, a show where we talk about the perspective of 30-somethings on life. My kid is an asshole. Love. Did I tell you about the girl? twice in a week. And the never-ending pursuit of fulfillment. My name is Anthony, but most people just call me Turd. And I'm Randy Z. Let's start the show. All right, so we're joined today by Chris McMullen, a.k.a. Seth Brundle. And I... Brundle is such a cool name. I mean, when I first heard that, I, I, I was like, what, come again? Like, uh, bro, bro, what? And um, I think it was back when we were interviewing Leslie, and uh, that was season one. I found I found out about, you know, who you were and, and uh, all about you. But today, I, I want to find out from your perspective, obviously, since you're here with us, a little bit about you. Um, you are the co-host of Butter and Brown. I it's am a cooking show. Mm-hmm. And I know I watched a couple of episodes a couple of years ago and fallen off since then. So go ahead, uh, get into a little bit about yourself and, and what you do in, in Butter and Brown and all the good stuff. Well, my name is Chris McMullen, a.k.a. like you said, Seth Brundle. It's a moniker that I've used in the entertainment industry since I started off, what was that, about 10 years ago as a stylist. And the reason why I opted for a moniker was because I knew there was a strong possibility, which has happened since that once I started off down that path, there was a, a possibility that I would have to go back to corporate America, which has happened. And, you know, as what always happens, people get curious about you at the office. White people want to know who you are, <laughs> who's this dark face like in the office or whatever. So they start Googling you and I wanted to keep the two separate. Hmm. So I opted for the moniker Seth Brundle because The Fly is my second favorite like sci-fi movie yeah, of all time. Yeah. And my career as a stylist was to make people fly. So I'm the epitome of the fly. Therefore, I am Seth Brundle. So that's where I got (laughs) the moniker from. So um, one part, like, I'm just an all-around, like, lifestyle guy. As I mentioned before, like, I was a celebrity uh, wardrobe stylist for six years. Did that and loved it until I didn't. I pivoted, went back to corporate, and continued to pursue my career, my professional career in marketing. Around that time uh, that I was finishing up my career in styling, or I should say around in the base in in styling, Leslie and I started doing the web series uh, Butter and Brown on Issa Rae's network. And a couple of years later, we got a call from Aspire that they wanted to do a holiday special with this. And then that snowballed and the holiday special turned into how about we do six original seasons and then we negotiated them down to two. You know, in the event that the show is successful, which it is now, we could renegotiate. Right. You know, for more pay. Smart. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really right. smart. Yeah, boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, didn't want to be locked in for six years. So, stylist, fashion enthusiast, cook, television host, personality, husband, uncle, friend, native Angelino, fat boy. <laughs> <laughs> and slim boy. And, and slim boy. Like, I, I've, my weight has fluctuated so much over the years, and now I'm on the upside of it. But yeah, you yeah. and me both, bro. Yeah, 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 man. We've we've both uh, gone back and forth. But that's just, uh, that's just a little bit about me. HBCU made, Morehouse man, Alpha man. Uh, yeah. So, uh, what did you study in college? Marketing. Marketing. Yeah. Now, there's been two instances in your life where you were in corporate and then it came to an abrupt stop. Because mm-hmm. I remember, I think we were at 22, 23 when you lost your, your job. And then you just mm-hmm. dove all the way into fashion. Like, yeah. who the fuck does that? Yeah. You know, how, how did that kind of transition um, for your life? How did that work out? Or how, what did you do right there? So at the time, I was working for a marketing agency and ended up, you know, losing my job. And I knew that 
in the back of my mind that I wanted to, you know, pursue a career in fashion. And at the time, I wasn't necessarily clear on what that was. Like, from the time I was in middle school through college, I always assumed it would be designing. Mm. And as, you know, I met more people and networked more and, um, you know, I actually interviewed and got into FITM and then ended up taking classes at Trade Tech because FITM was way too expensive. Um, was I this figured, postgraduate or after? Or this is postgraduate. Okay. Yeah, this is after Morehouse, after okay. I moved back to L.A. Um, and I started taking classes at Trade Tech. I, I realized that design was something that I love, but I quickly figured out that styling was what I really wanted to do. So around the time I lost my job, a friend of mine, Monique Scott, who was already a stylist at the time, had posted something on Facebook about it was it was it was truly like God sent the way the whole thing like fell into place. But she had posted something I think that was the day after I lost my job that she needed an assistant for a week long shoot that she was doing for a pilot. So called her up, you know, she let me assist her for a week and like the rest is history. So I assisted Monique for about six months. And kind of learned like the ropes of styling. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of, I think, preconceived notions about like what a career in styling takes. Like you don't really think about the ins and outs of it. Mm -hmm. So I learned that from her and then I just took off on my own. Mm -hmm. And kind of like we were talking about earlier, like for me, I think I feared, you know, continuing to go down this path in this industry that I wasn't necessarily 100% passionate about and having regrets down the line, as opposed to like just jumping in like feet first and just seeing what happens. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Because by all intents and purposes, that's what it looked like you did. Yeah. You know, but it was probably a little more calculated than just you still kind of feeling it out. I mean, kind of, but not really. Like, yeah. I mean, I have parents who are very supportive of me and what I do and what I'm passionate about and always have been. You know, my mom let me move back in. She told me, you know, to do what I needed to do, but not to ask her for any money. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it was it was half calculated, like half, you know, just spur of the moment type yeah. of thing. It was it was like the time is now. Like I have to do it now. And if not now, then, then when? I'm never going to get this opportunity, you know. So when did the transition go from, okay, I'm leaving styling? Because you, you said, I, I, I love it till I don't. And it, yeah. it's funny because I... I'm the exact same way. Yeah. I'm I, I'm a photographer by trade, but I don't push it anymore. It's like, uh, you know, I love it. Yeah. But I'm more interested in this right now. You know yeah. what I mean? And and that's the thing. Like, I love like as an art form, like I still love styling and I always will. I just don't want to do it in that capacity anymore where my income, my happiness, my everything is determined on my clients or how much work I'm getting or whatever the case is. Like, it's like babysitting children, you know, and people don't understand how hard it is to style. Like people think it's this, it's this career or profession where you just ha have all these, this beautiful clothing, like laying around your house. Like, yeah, I have like, you know, a $2,000 couture gown just laying in my closet for no reason. You do? That I'm ready. I do. What? I do. Yeah. yeah Get out. <laughs> Me too. Oh my right. God. Like all of us do. Like every stylist does. Like just racks and racks of all these beautiful, you know, all this beautiful clothing or whatever just sitting around and they have no idea like, you know, what it takes to get access to that stuff. These are relationships that I've mm. built over years, you know, at a time. This is me driving all over LA. This is me putting my credit card on file, mm. you know, as collateral if this piece gets damaged. Yeah. Like this is, you know, a, a, 
a shoot, a one-day shoot is at least three days work for a stylist. You have to spend at least one day, and this is depending on, like, the person and the magnitude of the shoot and what you need for it. So there's at least one day that you need to dedicate to go and pulling, you know, these pieces, these articles of clothing, this jewelry, these shoes from different showrooms all over L.A., and then in most cases, if you get enough of a heads up, like, and you can have brand ship stuff to you, um, you know, that's at least a day of work. Then you have the day of the shoot to work, to unload your car, to set everything up, to, you know, do your fittings and different things like that. And then the day after you have to do returns. Wow. So this is three days of work. And I would oftentimes have to argue with people about my rates or my money or whatever it is. Well, mm-hmm. you just did X, Y, and Z. That's all you saw. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? Like, there's so much more that goes into this process than what you're seeing. Mm. Like, this $5,000 jacket that your client wore or that you wore or this piece of jewelry that you broke and didn't even think twice about. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, this came from a showroom and a designer that I met who lives, like, 20 miles outside of L.A. And, you know, I had to spend my gas, my time, you know, sit in traffic and all this other stuff just to get this one piece that made the shoot, you know, that had everybody like, you know, losing their shit like in the background when they saw the finished product or whatever. Like this is like hours, days, you know, months, years worth of work, you know, in one shoot. So that was the shit that I got tired of. That that's interesting that you bring that up because that didn't that mentality didn't just happen overnight, right? No, you not at all. That because there was one point in your time in your career where you're probably taking anything that you can get, absolutely, right, to get your absolutely. name out there. Yeah. So when did that transition occur? So I think it was the first year I was a stylist. I did every shoot that I did was pro bono, and it was for the sake of my portfolio. Damn, everything. Anything anyone called me for, texted me for, emailed me for, I did it no matter how big or small mm-hmm. for the sake of my portfolio. And there were certain instances where I would get paid for those shoots because they didn't know that I was just trying to, you know, build and develop my portfolio. But after that year's time, like I, you know, I set a goal for myself. I said like, okay, after, let's say it was like April 2000, whatever, after this date, after this year mark, I'm only going to do shoots that I get paid for. And everything just fell into place the way that it needed to. And every shoot that I got from then on, like I didn't, there wasn't a question of whether or not I was going to be paid for it. I still had to fight with people for my money because that's just the entertainment industry yeah. like that, yeah. you know. So when did you make the transition out of style and into, what was what was the first transition for you out of style to what? Where did you go from there as a stylist? So it was kind of, it was an overlap. So I went from style and at the tail end of styling, Leslie and I started doing Butter and Brown. Okay. And then toward the tail end of Butter and Brown, I went back to corporate America. Oh. And then... As soon as I went back to corporate America, went back to corporate America, we got the call from the network. So there was a two year period where we were doing Butter and Brown, and then our second, well, it was actually our inaugural series that we did for Aspire called Big Screen Small Bites. Yeah, it was a, a series of interstitials that we did for the movies and television shows that they syndicated. It was like a dinner and a movie type of thing. Mm-hmm. So I was doing that for two years. I was working full time out and I was doing that because it was like weekends or two weeks out of the year type of thing. So I was able to manage both at the time. Yeah. So there was, they all overlap. Well, how for old a few you years. when all this started happening? The big transition. How old was I? Yeah. Tail end of styling was maybe 29. 
29. 29, yeah. Interesting. Like, a transition. Yeah, a transition. <laughs> 30 was on the horizon, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, shit. I thought I could have swore you started Butter and Brown a lot earlier than that. But okay, so 29. Well, so it's 20. Uh, Butter and Brown was... No, 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 no. You're right. Butter and Brown, we started May May 2012. So that was... Five years ago. Yeah. Really? Was that soon? Or that long ago? Almost six. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the web six. series. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then Aspire called us uh, 2015. So 2012. How, that, that was when we were 25, wasn't it? That's when I got married. Yeah. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. 2012, you, we were 20. That's I got married. Wait, we're doing, we're doing math here. Yeah, this 2012, is like, we, Six years ago. Yeah, we were 27? 27. 26. Shit, we're 33. Yeah. 26, yeah, I just turned 33. Yeah. I knew that. Yeah. Well, I was how there. Old yeah. <laughs> how old am I? I think uh, 85. So 85? Yeah, he just turned 32. You look 32. great for 85, dude. <laughs> I look what? Great for 85. <laughs> okay, so you did... So in 2012... You started your first season of Butter and Brown, mm-hmm. and you guys did two for, for- We only did one. I we actually you... only did one, yeah. Oh, I yeah. it was two. Mm-mm. We did Wait, the one season- Butter and Brown is not is no longer? No, no, no. We did, we did one On your season own. of the web series. Got it. And then we got picked up by the network. Got it. Got so it. I did, we did one season of Butter and Brown, and mm-hmm. then I did one season of Fundamental. Oh, that's Which was the was. second web series. Yeah. Okay. So, so Fundamental, I think I started in 2000, 2015. Because I, I thought that was when you were, what years? Yeah, so that's when you were 30 then. Fundamental happened when you were in 30. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's, yeah. that's the big transition. Yeah, one. that was the big transition. Okay. Yeah. So that, was you, a good, that was a good fucking year. It yeah. was. Yeah. The big thing for me is something that you mentioned about going from pro bono to knowing exactly what you wanted to charge and what you were worth. And that, that has a lot to do with the transition into where you are now. Yeah. Like you mentioned the deal with Aspire and they wanted to lock you into six. You wanted two because you needed to, that time to evaluate your worth as a product and sure. not only as a product, but a, but a personality essentially that took time to develop. You just don't figure out, okay, well, this is what I'm worth. This is what I'm going to charge. Yeah. Right. What led you to that conclusion? I mean, what life events kind of put that mentality in emotion to where you were able to kind of take a step back and say, this is me. This is what I'm providing, and this is what I want in return. I think just getting, whether it was styling or butter and brown or whatever it is, I think it was just being able to get the whole scope of the industry. So for styling, like I had mentioned before, there was so much, there is so much that goes into each and every project for a stylist. And, you know, knowing other stylists and what their limitations were and what relationships they didn't have and how often they inquired from me, like where I got certain pieces and, you know, everyone that I knew and how well researched I was and how professional I was and how often I got called, you know, it was the type of thing where people would call and, you know, say stuff like, oh, this will be a good look for you if you do this shoot, you know, no, a good look for me is paying my bills. That's a good look for me. This would be a good look for you if I did this shoe pro bono because I'm an excellent fucking stylist, well, which you takes, know. That takes balls, one. And yeah. two, it takes understanding your worth. Yeah. But again, it, it's it's difficult to understand that because I guess I got to be in that position. But for someone that isn't aware of how to go about determining how much you're worth, I mean, 
tips, advice? Like, what do you, I mean, evaluating the market obviously um, is a good starting yeah, point. Yeah, totally. Right? Totally. But what else? I've, I've always, and I still do look for mentors. So there's a stylist named, by the name of Ashley Sean Thomas. He's also a Morehouse alum. He was a senior when I was a freshman. You know, we were introduced. He was another stylist that I assisted along my path, you know, in the styling world. So just like leaning on people like him and other stylists who are more established, who made more money, who had, you know, much bigger clientele, like asking them, what should, you know, I be asking for? What's reasonable? Like on the low end, let's say like, you know, I'm, you know, this close to not being able to pay my bills this month. What's the the lowest I should go on the rate? You know, what shouldn't I budge on? Like that type of thing. And mm-hmm. still to this day, I do the same thing. Like I lean very heavily on my friends in the entertainment industry who are more established, uh, friends of mine who are entertainment and employment uh, attorneys. We leaned on our attorney when we were negotiating our contract on what was reasonable. So not pretending as if I know everything, but like leaning on other people to figure it out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, knowing my worth was just knowing, being in tune with my craft and being like, you know, just confident in my ability to execute. But then also, you know, not being naive or stupid or arrogant enough to think that I know every fucking thing. You know what I mean? Like I'm still one of those people and I always will be like, you know, a student of life, like teach me, teach Mm -hmm. me. I don't know. Like this is my, this is my first or second, however you want to think about it. This is my first or second television show. I don't know anything about the entertainment industry beyond what I've experienced so far. So I have to lean on those other people who have more experience. It's funny you mentioned that, like, there's just no, there's no pride in this at all. No. And, and, and you weren't like this when we were younger or anything, but I, I know for myself, I felt like I had, there was a level of humbleness that you have when mm-hmm. you go to ask for help, but then there's also this, not to say a facade, but you have to put up this level of, of confidence sure. when you go into these meetings. Sure. Like, you're not going to take advantage of me. Like, did you did you ever have to like balance or did you struggle with figuring out when to do what? Dude, that's that's still something that I struggle with. Really? Um, I do too. You know, yeah. yeah like, <laughs> I, so I had, I've had a lot of really great meetings since I moved back to LA with studios, networks, mm-hmm. management, uh, companies, agencies, and different things like that. And again, like I've leaned on my friends who are in the industry and have been for a long time to get an idea of how I should conduct myself, what I should say, what I should agree to, what I shouldn't agree to. Mm-hmm. And there's a fine line between, oh shit, I'm at NBC Universal's office meeting with like some of the top like casting directors in the fucking country. Oh my God, like I'm 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 so humbled. I'm so excited. Yeah. And play it cool. Like you know, make them want you. So it's it's fuck. It's so fucking tough. You know yeah. what I mean? But I think I think I do, and I have done a good job of balancing that and getting out of my head. Um, you know, it's just a matter of like, again, like I can't emphasize that enough. Like having those conversations with friends. Like, what should I do in these instances? You know, I'm a big proponent of running things by other people. As a matter of fact, I have a mentor who's always telling me. See, this is why we talk about these things. And his example is all the incredibly successful people out there, they have brain trusts. They have people that they can go to, like a group of people that they trust more than anybody else, even sometimes more than their own spouse. Yeah. To run mm-hmm. ideas by, business moves, decisions, pricing, all these things that, you know, it takes a group of people to validate 
you know, and uh, affirm whether or not you're headed in the right direction or maybe you need to kind of readjust and tweak things because it's important to gather that, to homogenize an idea, to, to, to kind of understand its scope, right. how it impacts everything, and to understand, okay, this is, this is the direction I want to take, not based on what I know to be true, because that might not be a good representation of what is in actuality true. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And it's important to, it's important to kind of get that. Uh, and, and, and that's, I'm so grateful that that's not a part of my makeup. You know what I mean? Like I would consider myself a confident person, but I'm not arrogant. I don't, the, the older I get, the more I realize the less or the, the less I know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I don't know shit. You know, and I'm not going to be the person who pretends like he knows everything, you know, only to miss out on opportunities or, you know, anything because I'm pretending like I'm the guy that knows everything. And you know this, like I just went through this massive rebrand for myself yeah. with my website and, you know, I just got my reel done and my media kit and all this other stuff. And I leaned on my brain trust. You know, I have a group of friends who... You know, and this is in every single, you know, circle of my friends. I have groups of friends who are insanely talented and creative and intelligent and whatever, you know, else you want to call it. Like I have friends who are, like I mentioned before, attorneys. I have friends who are graphic designers, photographers, videographers, like podcast hosts, you know what I mean? Like musicians, like whatever it was that I needed for that rebrand or whatever it is that I need for whatever it is in in all of my endeavors, I have someone to lean on for that. And I'll never stop doing that. Yeah, I've seen too many people, you know, fall and fail because of their fucking egos. Mm. You know what I mean? That's interesting. And I don't, I don't want to be one of those people, you know? And it's that humble approach that comes with age, too. I think in my 20s, I was very arrogant, you know, a lot more so than now. And I still think I have a long way to go in terms of my of my ego and all that. But I've calmed down a lot in terms of understanding yeah. I don't know everything. I'm very much a proponent of the growth mindset where, you know, we can always be better. We can always develop better. Yeah. But we develop better with those around us. Right. Absolutely. And that's very important to understand that this is all communal. Like we're all in this shit together. And the sooner we realize that, the better off we'll all be together. Absolutely. And it's, you know, if you get successful, uh, we get successful, everyone benefits in some yeah. way, shape, or form. Rising tide so, raises yeah. all boats. It's, yeah, a, it's, it's a minority thing. It's a it's a underprivileged thing. We all bring each other up. And that's the way that these things work. And I think there are really big things coming for a lot of these uh, talented individuals that we surround ourselves with in in our generation yeah. primarily. Um, as we've alluded to in, in the past uh, in talking to some of our guests, millennials have yet to really uh, – and, and Randy said this – millennials have yet to really – show and prove themselves and really push forward. I think the effects of what we're doing have yet to be seen, to take his words. And it's important to understand that once that happens, shit's going to change. Yeah. And it's going to be real, like, yeah. it's going to be real good. I yeah. Think. yeah. We're, we're late bloomers. Yeah. Um, but what I actually wanted to talk about, and, and me and Chris were talking before when you were uh, with your daughter, mm-hmm. he just recently left his corporate job for the second time. Really? Yeah. Pursuing yeah. intimate for for uh, in a full-time capacity and he, he mentioned that there was there was still this fear 
uh, of taking that risk. And I, I was curious because he's he's rec- can we still say you're recently married? Yeah, it's been a year. It's been right? under a year. Under yeah. a year. So yeah. he's recently married, but still taking this risk. And I, you know, is what are the conversations that had to happen before that actually, you know. Man, so this is this is just a testament to my wife. So like I was telling you before, I was working for a marketing agency up in the Bay and I got fired, not because I wasn't performing, but because of my time off request. So when I got hired by this agency, the woman who ran it, you know, she knew that I had a television show. She knew that I was getting married in the summer and she was all about everything, you know, just as long as my time off request didn't conflict with uh, any existing business, which it didn't. So of course, that was all smoke and mirrors. That was something to Mm -hmm. pull me in Mm because she poached me from my last job. And of course, you know, I fulfill my responsibilities. And as soon as I get a handle on my production schedule and my wife and I lock down our, you know, our wedding plans, I present or submit my time off request and she loses her shit. Long story short, I wouldn't budge on the request. She wouldn't budge on giving me the time off, even though I had even gone as far as to like, just say like, give me the time off without pay. I don't give a fuck. Even though I have unlimited PTO, like just I'll, I'll, I'll go unpaid. Like I want to enjoy my life. Mm-hmm. So she fired me and it was the, the biggest blessing, you know, I could have anticipated that job was stressing me out. I love the work, hated her. She was neurotic and <laughs> insane and all this Ooh. other stuff. Um, but uh, so when I got fired from my job, uh, Leslie and I were set to um, start production on Butter and Brown two months after. We filmed the show and then my wife and I got married a month after that. So probably mid-summer, you know, I was looking for another job, trying to figure out where I wanted to land. I knew I wanted to land at one of the tech companies in the Bay, you know, so on and so forth, yada, yada, yada. Uh, fast forward, my wife sat me down one day and she's like, what are you doing? Like, what are you, what do you mean? What am I doing? It's like, what are you doing? You mean right now? Like, what do you, what do you mean? <laughs> She's like, you know, you know, you know what you want to do. Like, why are you continuing to pursue, you know, a nine to five when you know what it, what it is that you want to do with your life? You know, we're in a great position financially. One of the great things about, you know, being in the position that I was or am at the time is that I had just saved so much money and, you know, we made a good chunk of change from Butter and Brown and, you know, other entertainment endeavors of mine. So she's like, we're in a great position financially. You know, she has a great job. Just do that full time. Just go after it. Like, you know, she she essentially told me to sack up, like fucking like, <laughs> Damn. yeah, like sack up. And, and that's why you marry a woman. Yeah, like exactly. And that's why you marry a woman like, you know, my wife. She was like, you know, sack up and go chase that shit. Like, we'll be fine. Like, this is what I want you to do. Like, I know it'll make you happy and, you know, I'll be happy as a result of your happiness or whatever. Like, go after it full time. And that's what I've decided to do. So, like I said, like, you know, I've had some really great meetings. Um... I've uh, created a bunch of pitches. Like, I have a lot of coals in the fire right now. And, you know, any success that I enjoy from this point on, like, you know, I owe to my wife. And, and you know, to answer your question, that was a very long-winded, no, you know, answer. It's, it's good, but that was, that was essentially the conversation that we had. Like, she was the one, you know, who incepted the idea and pushed me to do it. And she's been my biggest cheerleader, yeah. you know, ever since. And we have... Um, you know, we just have an agreement 
between the two of us of what that means, you know, what her expectations are of me, what mine are of her, mm. and, you know, so on and so forth. So. so, like, the risk factor of, like, well, you know, I might do all these things. I might pitch all these shows or write mm-hmm. all these shows and do all these pitches and, and nothing fit, right. nothing hits. Like, you know, you, you did you have to, like, kind of preface that or was she like well aware of, of what you I mean she she's to? well aware of it too but I think one of one of the great things that that came out of that conversation is I think my wife had this idea that I was going to be this miserable person if I didn't have this insanely successful career in, in the entertainment space and one of the things that came out of that conversation was that I told her like I am very happy and was very happy in my career in marketing I think people are the biggest determining factor in my happiness in a specific job and position. Mm -hmm. But I love marketing. Mm -hmm. You know, I studied it. I loved what I was doing. And, you know, if for some odd reason, as what happens with people in the entertainment industry, it doesn't work out, not because I'm not talented or my ideas aren't amazing or whatever it is, opportunity meets timing, so on and so forth. Like those those stars don't align and it doesn't happen. I'd be more than happy, you know, going back to corporate America and fucking killing it in the marketing space. It's it's funny to hear you say that because I guess I'd be guilty of stereotyping you that way too. Like, you take yourself, you take like a Lorenzo, yeah, um, who also actually we recorded with um, earlier. Earlier, yeah, so yeah, I'm on the schedule. And you look at you guys, and and for me, it's just like you guys could never work a regular job. Like you guys belong in a creative pursuit, and. I, I love that that's people's, you know, perception of me. But my biggest thing, like I told her, and I'm telling you the same thing, like, I just want to be happy, dude. That's all I give a shit about. That's all I care about. So if I have a job in marketing and I never do anything in an entertainment space again, and I'm happy developing strategy for a product or a website or whatever it is that I really believe in and I can get behind. And that affords me the the means to, you know, have a happy life with my wife. We can travel, we can go out to dinner, we can buy, you know, $50, you know, 90 day age steaks and, you know, like (laughs) treat my nieces and nephews to what they want. Like that, that's not going to determine my happiness. And I think that's one of the things that all the ups and downs of my 20s has, you know, taught me. Like, my my happiness is not going to be determined by my success in this industry. You know, it'll contribute to it, but it won't determine it at all. I was say, that's actually my next question. It's like, when did you really step into that that mindset? Shit, dude. I think it was, I think it was around the time that I fell out of love with styling. Because, like, I remember, like, even, like, this tattoo that I have on my arm, like, I got this, like, like fashion related like tattoo mm. on my forearm and i remember when i first started pursuing fashion and styling and you know really leaned into the into the entertainment space like i was like it's this or bust like i'm this is my life i'm not doing anything else with it if you had told me in that first year two that i started styling that that wouldn't be my path or I would deviate or whatever it was, like I would have either gone into like a deep depression or like not believe you or told mm-hmm. you you were full of shit. Yeah. And I remember when I started falling out of love with it, I was really conflicted by that feeling. Like I couldn't believe that 
this thing that I pursued for so long and put so much energy into and literally put my blood, blood, sweat, and tears into it. I've cried over it. You know, I've gotten in fights over my money and been injured, you know, like, um, yeah, like I've, you know, I've sweat, like I've marched up and down like, you know, eight flights of stairs in downtown LA showrooms because the elevators were always fucking broken. You know what I mean? I've literally poured all three into my craft and I was so conflicted by that feeling of falling out of love with it. And I I remember one day I I, I woke up and I really started to think about like what space I was in when I first decided to pursue styling. And my in my conversations with God, I said, I can't continue to go down this path without at least saying I tried. Mm. And that that one sentence stuck with me. I tried at styling. I succeeded at styling. I have a very, very, very impressive portfolio that I'm very proud of. Mm-hmm. I did and accomplished exactly what I set out to do. And that's not even to say that, you know, my path or my my pursuit in the fashion world or the styling world is done, but I accomplished exactly what I set out to do. Yeah. I tried. Yeah. It's funny so, you mentioned that little caveat of like what I, uh, your pursuits being done maybe or maybe not. Yeah. And it seems like the only thing that you're really willing to go back to would be marketing. Yeah. Because, you know, the idea, so this is where my mind's going right now. It's the idea of, of the, the slash generation, right? You are... TV host mm-hmm. slash producer slash <laughs> yeah. stylist, slash, you know, whatever yeah. else that you're you're doing. But it's like, you really do it one at a time. And it's like, is it is it just as a, as a means to an answer? You're seeing where your interests take you and just let it evolve naturally? Now that's where I am. Now that's exactly where I am. And, you know, that philosophy, that mentality has landed me exactly where I am. Mm-hmm. Where cooking was just something that I love to do. Yeah. I didn't I never up until Leslie and I started doing the web series, I had never pictured myself in that space. I never knew you guys, neither of you were that into cooking. Yeah. I had no yeah. idea. Yeah, it can't I mean the show was spawned based on our friendship. Mm-hmm. You know, based on what, you know, she and I and Megan and other friends would do, you know, Friday, Saturday nights. We would mm-hmm. get together at one another's houses and cook and drink a bunch of cheap-ass Carlo Rossi and get <laughs> drunk and have a good time. Yeah. You know, so it was, it's it's an, it's an a very honest show and it's a reflection of, you know, shit that we love. But being open to pivot, you know, landed us in, the, in this spot. Yeah. You know, because with her too, like the same thing, like she, you know, she started off doing Let Leslie Tell It and yeah. she was in entertainment PR and she had... um I don't think she had started uh, her clothing line at the time, but like, you know, it's just different things that we thought we were more passionate about or that we put our focus into. Yeah. And, you know, because we were open, this was the thing that opened up so many other doors for us. Yeah. You talk about really investing so much into something and then that not panning out. What have you used from past experiences that have helped you kind of evolve into um, what you're doing now? So your styling experience, your experience in marketing, what are you, how have you used that to do what you're going to do now? And what are you going to do now? (laughs) And so all of, even at my lowest points with the worst experiences that I've had in entertainment or 
corporate or whatever it is, they've all contributed to the success that I'm enjoying now, the happiness that I'm enjoying now, um, the relationships that I'm able to forge now. Um, my my experience in you know PR and marketing when I first graduated from Morehouse and moved back to LA very much contributed to my rise and my success in styling. It taught me how to research, how to market myself, how to network with people, how to please, how to format an email. You know, there were a lot of times where I would, you know, what what would you call it? Cold email a showroom that I did not have a pre-existing relationship with. And, you know, after time and after getting to know one another, like I had brand managers that would tell me like the only reason I, I answered your email was because it was formatted so well. I get all these shitty ass emails, like, mm-hmm. you know, from people's like Blackberries. That's how long ago it was from people's Blackberries oh, or man. iPhones or whatever it is. No, and no, no. This is this is a place of shame. Put your Blackberry down. What Jared. the hell? That's a Blackberry? <laughs> what the fuck? Oh my God. I know. We I gotta know. dive into that shit when we get done. <laughs> I wanna see that. It's a touchscreen Blackberry. Oh my God. I know. Um, does it have BBM on it's it? It's Android, yeah, it does. Oh, BBM sucks, bro. Shit. It crashes my phone so much. I, I hate it. Phone are shitty. All his phones are shitty. Oh, but okay. Man. Wow. Oh, I, don't, I don't put money in my phone. <laughs> my source of- Neither do I. They're too expensive. Now. Right. But yeah, all of those, um, all of my experience has, like, whether, again, like, whether they be personal, whether they be professional, whether they be in entertainment, they've contributed to success in er- other areas. Whether it's someone I've met in, you know, styling who introduced me to someone who needed a marketing manager for a specific project or whatever it is. And, you know, I was able to make a couple extra bucks, like, you know, working as a contractor or yeah, whatever it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, you know? those are Those are great examples of the high times. What about the low times? What about the failures? What have those Ooh. taught you about yourself now? And how are you using those to propel you forward? Because really in in – in every aspect, the failures resonate, I, I yeah. believe, more, yeah. much more yeah. than the successes. Um, I think I think I just have to go back to what I said before. I think my failures have really helped me to understand what it is that truly matters to me. You know what I mean? You know, my low points were always determined on how much money I had. Like being broke fucking sucks. And that was the worst thing that the worst and best thing that ever happened yeah. to me. It was the worst thing at the time, but it's the best thing that ever happened to me because I'm very, you know, I'll go out, like, you know, say the four of us go out after this, go to a bar, I'll pay for everyone's drinks. But I'm very frugal with my money too. Mm-hmm. Like, and there's not a time that I swipe my card and I don't appreciate the fact that. I'm going to swipe it. That charge is going to go through, and I don't have <laughs> to worry about it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I think about that yeah. all the time. I think about yeah. it all. Like there, and it's funny. Like you know, my, I talk to my dad about it all the time, and he always laughs. And I'm like, no, dad. Like I'm serious. Like I, like you know, I'm years removed, you know, from that space, but I still remember what it was like to be that poor, to yeah. be that broke, like to not be able to afford to put $5 in my tank to to go to oh, Randy's yeah. party or whatever. God. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I still remember times. there were, yeah. there were all like, there were the worst times in my life. But so, you knew. But I knew. You can only go up from yeah. there. 
Yeah, I absolutely Hopefully. knew. Like, and that was—I mean, like at the time, like that thought didn't necessarily help. It was like, yeah, fuck, I fucking know. Yeah, but yeah. That's not Things today. are gonna get better. Yeah, but today I don't have fucking five dollars to put in yeah, my tank. But yeah. um, oh god, you know those the 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 worst of times like have have really and truly put in perspective for me what matters. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's a good point. It's a very good point. That's that's what they've done for me. Like, yeah, I know what matters. I think that's one of the main reasons why I have such selectivity in everything that I do, people that I meet, things that I encounter in my life just because of that mentality. Yeah. Because it's been forged through hell, fire, and brimstone, so to speak. You know, it it hurt. Yeah. Yeah, I I totally level with that, man. There were points and times where I was worried my car was going to run out of gas and I was going to be stuck in the middle of the freeway or street. Like literally been there in the middle of the freeway. 101, yeah. It was like, I Shout out to my sister Kalia who came and uh, <laughs> gave me gas in the middle of the 101 freeway. Yeah. All right. I have two questions. One is a real quick short one. Okay. Just out of curiosity, do you style yourself now on Butter and Brown? <laughs> uh, no. Yes and no. Okay. So for the pilot that we shot, absolutely. Because yeah. I'm not even going to shade that girl. But yes, for the pilot, I did. Uh, for, but you just did. I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shout out to her for pursuing her, her dream. Or whatever you want to call that. <laughs> um, but, no shade, but whatever you but, want. For uh, her pursuit. Right, for her pursuit. There <laughs> we go. Um, but for the first full season that we filmed, we had two really awesome girls uh, who styled us for the series. So they they styled me for the most part. Okay. There were a couple of things that I, you know, went in and changed as anybody would do. You know, and it was due to other things. Just like we were talking about before, before we turned the mics on. Like, you know, I know my body. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not a standard, like, even though my waist might be, you know, 38, whatever it is, like, I'm not a standard 38. Like, I know, you know, where my problem areas are. If I put on a certain shirt, like, how my Mm -hmm. stomach is going to bulge or, like, whatever the case is. So, like, I might have loved what they purchased or pulled for the shoot, but it was like, yeah, that's cute, but that shit ain't going to work for me. You know what I mean? I feel that. So, yeah. The other part of the question was, all the things that you've done, right, as, Mm -hmm. as vast as your... Uh, I guess we call it portfolio, but really it's just your your experiences professionally are. Do you feel like this is where you're meant to be right here, right now? Absolutely. Or do you think it's something that's kind of like, this is where you are right now? Yes, but it's it's leading to something even bigger that you just can't really foresee yet. I, I mean, I absolutely feel like it's going to lead to something bigger that I haven't foreseen yet. But, you know, time will tell. Yeah. Time will tell. I like, I can only now. keep... That's hard. Yeah, yeah, I can only keep, like, working towards it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I walk this line of... You know, when I started the, the documentary, I definitely was in over my head, and and I'm gonna re- I'm gonna bring it back this year as far as like finishing it ideally, or at least getting a more solid idea. So put that on our list of things to do, John. Um, yeah, but but it's this, John. Please, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I go back and forth between like, is this is this the greatest idea I've ever had, or is this just something that's I'm able to use all my skill sets, but I I see something bigger and. I, I go back and forth all the time because then, then I kind of talk myself out of my projects. You know what I mean? Well, shit, to that point, and this is advice that I have to follow for myself. Like I have a, I have a younger cousin, Jordan, who just launched an online magazine called Crafted News. Shout out to Crafted News. Shout out to my cousin, Jordan. Uh, Jerry. But Jordan is 21. Wow. Uh, he just started this amazing magazine. They That's have dumb. a great aesthetic. Leslie and I have interviewed with them. Um, they did Brunch to Bomb for my birthday. 
And Jordan is like a little brother to me. So he calls me or texts me all the time, like, you know, with his different ideas or he'll mm -hmm. send me edits. And he's like, I don't know, cuzzo, like blah, 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 whatever, whatever. Like, I don't know if I should put this out. And this is advice that I always give him and other people that I mentor, other people who ask for my opinions on things. And I try to do the same thing myself. You know, it's easier giving advice yeah. than it is taking it. Of course. It. But it's put the shit out. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. put it out. Like for my rebrand or whatever. Yeah. I knew I had gained a shit ton of weight back. And I was going to wait until I lost the weight and I got to a certain place again. I wasn't going to start shooting like my style stuff again. I was going to wait. I was going to wait. I was going to wait. And then I got to the point where I was just like, what the fuck? Why am I going to wait? Like yeah. this, my my weight loss can be a part of that narrative. It could be included yeah. on the blog, on my website. It could be a part of my story because that's what my blog is all about. It's about storytelling more so than fashion and food and whatever the fuck I want. So, you know, my my philosophy, you know, in that instance is the same thing. You know, don't get in your head about whether or not, like, there's a better idea or there's something bigger on the horizon. Just do that shit right now. Mm -hmm. Put it out into the universe or whatever and continue working on other shit. Like, whatever that something bigger was, start on that after you finish whatever it was that you started to fall out of love with or whatever you had doubts about. Because some like oftentimes, like, and I'm sure you guys have had this happen to you a million times where you're not so sure you have your doubts about something and people are like, oh my God, like this is the best song I've ever heard. This is the best podcast I've ever listened to. This is the best, like, you know, whatever. And you're like, I should have just gone with my first mind. Like this, yeah. it was a great idea. And I remember yeah. it being that way, like when I first came up with it and, you know, that validation like really, really, really helps. So that's the philosophy I try to, yeah. You know, live my life by now. Like, you know, like, it's funny, like, one of the photos that I posted on Instagram this week or whatever, I was like, well, I don't like this and I don't like that and blah, blah, blah. It got like 500 likes. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Like, I, I was doubting the photo. Yeah. And like, people like loved it. You know yeah. what I mean? So, like, just, just don't doubt yourself. Just fucking do it. Like, that's my thing. Like, with every pitch that I write or every meeting that I go to, or every everything that I do, like I try not to get in my head about it. Like I try to trust my vision for it and just like go for it. And you know, like with like the the age that we're in right now, we're in the digital age. You know, something you're doing today, you know, might be embarrassing or might be the hottest shit ever or whatever, and go viral in either direction, bad, good or bad. Mm -hmm. There will be something tomorrow, and there will be an opportunity for redemption. You know what I mean? So yes, and that's excellent advice. I, I think um, I was going to add that, but it really adds no value. It's just kind of kudos <laughs> to you for having that mentality because it's very hard to um, to see through that, and really, really hard to see through that uh, because you're looking through essentially a ceiling of shit to try and see sunlight and it's yeah. virtually impossible yeah you know because you're so engulfed and invested in what you're doing you don't ever want to think that oh i can never do something bad but uh, in the same light in the same breath which you've alluded to you need that validation totally to feel it mean something to someone because then you don't want to waste your time maybe it's that maybe it's a shallowness of being a, a millennial i don't know Maybe it's that, you know, that need for reassurance. Our parents didn't love us enough or our parents loved us too much or I don't know what it is. You know? it, it, I think it's something. Part, one part that, but then it's too like you, you know, and I think all of us 
can attest to having the same type of mentality. Like, we just want to make sure what we're putting out is, like, meaningful. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, and again, like, with the rebrand, like, it was something for me that I was so in my head about and w- was wondering if people would get it or if it would resonate. And it's been insane. Like, I didn't anticipate, like, the response that I've gotten so far from it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's been fucking insane. And it feels good just to know that what I'm putting out is resonating. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, good I don't know you. if it's the byproduct of being a millennial or what, but... It, it, but you did it, and that's what matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, that has a little bit yeah. to do with it. And I have the space and time to pivot. Exactly. Like, yeah, that's that's the most important. Get even part. better, or yeah. you know, if it didn't resonate with people, like you know, pivot and just do something completely different. Right. You know. Yeah. So, Chris, I really want to thank you for coming on the show. I mean, it's been great, and I want to encourage our listeners to reach out. We've talked about a lot again, and I'm going to keep reemphasizing this. Our episodes are so packed with just these little nuggets of wisdom and, and truth. And that's not tooting our horn or or trying to take anything away from the conversations that we're having, but we want to hear from you. We want to hear from the people out there and your stories and what you have to say. Have you ever fallen out of love with a past passion that you were really entrenched in or a hobby or something that you really didn't want to give up and you can never, ever see yourself giving up, but then you did for whatever reason. Do you know your worth at 30? Are you able to evaluate your worth at 30? Or have you looked for a mentor or someone that could help guide you down that road to help you figure out what it is that you are worth and your value as a person? Have you ever traveled down the road of inexperience and found yourself lost amongst peers and had no idea where to go? Have you ever had transformative goals and dreams or ideals that morphed over time? What is the definition of happiness to you in your 30s? I want to hear this from our listeners because as millennials, it's very important to understand that happiness is everything in our lives. We value that over anything. And it's important to understand that investing in yourself in your 30s is of utmost importance. Reach out to us at Talk 30 to Me if you've encountered any of these scenarios or anything that we've said today resonates with you. We want to hear from you, our listeners. And remember, we're in this together. This is community as millennials, as people in their 30s. Remember, you're not alone out there. Chris, where can people find you to find out about everything that you're doing in the community uh, with Butter and Brown, your personal uh, social media, so on and so forth. I can be found everywhere at Seth Brundle. So S-E-T-H-B-R-U-N-D-L-E on Instagram, on my website, on Facebook, uh, on Twitter, on all of the things. <laughs> on all of the things. All of the things. I am on. I am Seth Brundle on all of the things. And how about Butter and Brown? Where can people find that? Butter and Brown, you can find us at Aspire.tv or ButterandBrown.com, which redirects to Aspire TV. <laughs> oh, <nice. laughs> uh, same thing. You can find us at Butter and Brown. Even though it's stylized Butter plus Brown, you can find us everywhere at Butter A-N-D Brown, mm-hmm. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all, all of the, the things. things. All, all of the things. All of the things. That's yep. it. That's all you have. We believe in the consistency. Things. There yeah. you go. That's beautiful. Randy, where can the people find you? You can find me anywhere and everywhere at I am Randy Z. And Turg? You can find me at Turg says no on Instagram and Twitter. Not all of the things. Mm-hmm.
Thank you for subscribing to another episode of Talk 30 to Me. We hope you enjoy it and continue to share it with friends. Make sure to stop by our website at talk30tome.com for more content and information about the podcast. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. And if you really like what you hear, make sure to leave us an awesome five-star review. For Talk 30 to Me, I'm Turg. And I'm Randy Z. Peace. <laughs>
but but uh, I they, they always have sales, just like Old Navy always has sales. Mm-hmm. Gap always has sales. So I actually pick them up for like forty to fifty bucks. See, and now that's why I opt for Old Navy jeans because these are Old Navy like slim cut. Yeah, yeah. But then like the leg is not as tapered as the other jeans, so I just take them from my tailor. So I, I think I paid twenty dollars for these. Yeah, and then I took them in to get them. Uh, Tailored. tailored and tapered for an additional 20 bucks. I, I would do the same thing, except that I, the cut in the crotch is completely different from the old navy jean to the gap jean, and it's it's night and day. I gotta try them. Yeah. Just try one pair. Even, well, I don't know if you can do an in store because I think they only go up to like 38 in store. Yeah. Some shit. But yeah, the return policy is just the same. I'm like three months away from a 38 again. Yeah. I should be able to get that. That should be your positive attitude. Well, I just started. I just started again on Monday. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's not telling us at all. Uh, <laughs> 